Here we go. It's Law and Gospel on this Monday, June the 26th in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be taking a look at readings for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. But before I do that, I want to share with you a technique I use in doing sermons that came from the fourth Sunday after Pentecost last week. I always begin with a question, and the question is such that it is an attempt to have Lutherans in the congregation not know the right answer. And last week, my question was this, have you been set free from sin? Now, I asked the people who have been set free from sin to put their hands up. And except for one person, nobody in the congregation put their hand up. And and the one person who did that kind of knows the way I ask questions. And so she didn't know the answer, but she felt that using what seemed to be wrong would be the right answer. Well, she was right. Because the Bible verse from Romans 6, verse 22 reads, but now that you have been set free from sin. Now, what does that mean? If we are all sinners, and we certainly do confess that in the liturgy, we're poor, miserable sinners, deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment, for we sin by thought, word, and deed. There's no way that we can undo that sin So I can understand how someone would say that they have not been set free from sin. But what I did, I took the text and I helped them to understand what Paul was saying in Romans 6. In verse 14, it says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And that's the key to understand why you have been set free from sin. Being set free from sin, I try to use some examples that could be understandable. If someone says that I am set free from my crimes, what do they mean by that? They mean that they are never punished for their crimes. They don't go to jail, they don't get a fine, they are set free from fines and they are set free from crime. Another example I used was, why do you get a flu shot? You get a flu shot in order to be set free from the flu because once that shot is given at the right time and it is appropriate for your body, you will not come down with the flu. So you are set free from the flu, even though you had to be inoculated for it. Well, a Christian is inoculated by the grace of God, where you are no longer looked at as to your works, whether that will save you, but your faith in Jesus Christ. And when you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are set free free from sin. 
because there will be no consequences of your sin in heaven. You may have temporal consequences here on earth in the natural law, but in the spiritual law of heaven, you are forgiven. That is the greatest gift the Christian can receive. And what does it mean to be forgiven? It means that God no longer holds you accountable for your sin. That's how you are free from sin. It's not that you are free from no longer sinning. It's just that from God's point of view, because of the forgiveness of sins, there are no negative consequences in the spiritual realm for your sin. Your sin is forgiven. You are not under law, but under grace. And therefore, you have been set free from sin. A lot of people don't understand that. And I told the congregation, talk to anybody, your friends, relatives, neighbors, and if you get a chance to talk to them about a spiritual discussion, ask them, are you set free from sin? And I told them, I guarantee you they will say, no, at times I do sin. Because they get mixed up. They think that because they sin, they're not set free from sin. But it's just like being inoculated. Because you're inoculated against the flu, you are set free from the flu. So that was the point I was making for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost. But now we're looking at the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, July the 2nd, 2023. It has readings from Jeremiah 28, Matthew chapter 10, and a lengthy reading from Romans chapter 7. And listen to what the very first line says. Verse 1. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now, Paul has to explain what he means by that. And the explanation he uses is from marriage. Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So this is Paul's example of how the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So how does he compare that to the spiritual realm? Well, he says, Likewise, my brothers, you also 
have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, what does that mean? Well, prior to your faith in Jesus Christ, you belonged to Satan. You were in his kingdom, the kingdom of hell. And what Jesus did, he rescued you from the kingdom of hell by paying for your sin, by dying on the cross and taking the punishment that you deserve upon himself so that now you are able to belong to another besides to Satan. And it is to him who has been raised from the dead. For what purpose? In order that we may be bear fruit for God. Now, taking a look at the parable of the sheep and the goats, do you notice that maybe both the sheep and the goats are doing the same work? Maybe they're both visiting people in prison, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, uh, helping out others, but only the sheep are recognized as doing proper good works. In fact, it's not even referred to as works. It's referred to as fruit of the Holy Spirit. For while you are living under Satan, the fruit that you bear deserves death because it is never done with Jesus Christ as your motivation. But when you come to faith, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, then he works within you to bear fruit. That's a good work that God recognizes as salvific because you are doing the will of God. It's not that you're saved by that work. You're first saved. You recognize that you are saved, that you have been justified and therefore you are enabled to do loving works to Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on in verse 5 of Romans 7. For while we were living in the flesh, now that means our old Adam had control of us, and we had not yet received our new Adam that David prayed for. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And under that old Adam, it says, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now, that sounds like the law isn't very good because sin aroused by the law? What does that mean? Well, think of a child. A, a child has orders from the parents. Be home at such and such a time, go to bed at such and such a time, do your homework, uh, many, many orders. And by nature, even a child is aroused to go against the commands of the parents. 
because of their egotistical desire and oftentimes because of the temptations of Satan. They therefore don't really want to do what their parents want them to do. And so when they hear commandments or laws from the parents, their sinful passions are aroused and they therefore bear fruit for death. Because even if they do the work, well, they don't appreciate it from God's point of view. In fact, it, it says when we were looking at a Bible study by Solomon, uh, taking a look at his book, it was very interesting that God doesn't like sacrifices, especially when given with the wrong motivation. What he is saying is you give a sacrifice to God and think you can buy God off. There are pastors who even talk that way today. They say, the reason you are not getting blessed is because you're not doing sufficient good works. That is ridiculous. I was a child of Christian parents. I was always blessed by them. I can't think of a time I wasn't blessed. Now, somebody will say, oh, you never did anything wrong and you were disciplined? Well, we need to understand that when you get disciplined by parents, you're also being disciplined by God because they are the people in charge of your life. And that discipline is actually a blessing from both your parents and God to help you understand how to live properly. We, we know what happens with children who are never disciplined for when they do wrong. They make terrible citizens thinking they can get away with anything. So while you're living in the flesh, your sinful passions aroused by the law, don't tell me what I'm supposed to do, were at work in our members and we bore fruit for death. But listen to verse 6. But now we are released from the law. Now, Paul doesn't say, but in the future, when you get to heaven, you'll be released from the law. No, he says, but now we are released from the law. What does that mean? He explains it. We have died to that which held us captive, so that now we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. What this means is simple. Even unbelievers follow the laws of the land because they fear the punishment of the government, which, of course, would be the punishment of God. They don't go over the speed limit. They don't get a ticket. They pay their taxes. They don't end up in jail. There are all kinds of things that unbelievers do, but their motivation is the old written code, and they think that they're going to be okay by obeying the law. But shall we then say, Paul says in verse 7, 
that the law is sin since it moves us to do sin. He says, by no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. See, Paul is making a point that he did covet. That meant he desired things. He craved for things. He didn't look heavenly, but earthly. And it was the covet commandment that helped him to see that he was a sinner. Why is that so good? That's why we preach the law. We preach the law to help people understand that they are sinners, that they cannot release themselves from the control of sin, and therefore they need a savior. Paul says, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. In, in other words, had it not been for the law, I would not have known that I was going against the will of God. I would not therefore have sin leading me to death. But, he says in verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law. In other words, he could do whatever he wanted. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Yes, we, we just don't like having orders. Uh, for example, uh, today I received a phone call from my landlord. I ran out some space for the law and gospel points of view. Uh, I've got a copy machine, many books, etc., and my rent is going up. Well, I would argue against that because it's difficult to afford that rent. So when you hear the command that your rent is going up, you immediately are against it. Apart from the law, once I hear the law, when the commandment come, sin becomes alive and I died. And I tried to figure out a way to get out of that rent, even though the costs for the landlord are going up, taxes, etc. In other words, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Remember Exodus? The commandments are given there in order that you might have life. But the more you hear the commandments, the more you disobey them because of your pride, because of your arrogance. And so the very commandment that promised life can prove to be death to me. For sin, this is verse 11, Romans 7, 
sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. Yeah, many people think, well, if I obey the law of God, then I will be saved. They believe they're saved by their works. That is a way that we are really deceived. And sin deceives us and kills us. So he says, so the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. What he means by that is, yes, the law is something that is from God, and therefore it is righteous and good to obey it. So he asked the obvious question, did that which is good, that is the law, then bring death to me? By no means. So what did bring death? It was not the law, but, and this is what verse 13 says, it was sin producing death in me through what is good, namely the law, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So you see, preaching the law is very important for a pastor to do in a church, in a Bible study, because it is through preaching the law that people understand the sin that they are doing that brings death to them. And the more that they understand that, the more they recognize their need for a savior. Wasn't that the work of John the baptizer? Namely, a baptism of repentance in order that people might become aware of the many sins that they were doing and that these sins could lead to eternal death. So John the baptizer said, I'm speaking of the law in order to help you understand that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and he has come to take away your sin. See, that's what it means in Romans that you have died to the law through the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ attached to the cross suffered in your place. He was your substitute to take upon the punishment that you deserved so that you might by grace receive the forgiveness of sins. And therefore, that's what Paul means, that you died to the law. You died to the law through Christ. And a lot of people think they haven't died to the law following last week's because they don't understand what it means that you have been set free from sin. 
to die from the law means you are no longer held responsible for your sin. That's the Christian message. Where else can you find that message in any other religion of the world? You cannot. In every other religion in the world, there is some kind of work that you have to do in order to help save yourself. Nowhere in any other religion does God take upon himself the work of suffering for your sins in order that you may be freed not only from sin, but also from the curse of the law. And what's the curse of the law? In the day that you sin, death will be the result. And that doesn't necessarily mean just spiritual death or physical death. Take a look at Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they recognized what they had done, and they tried to attempt to hide from God. To hide from God, who is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, is impossible. And therefore, very important is the meaning of the commandments by Martin Luther. We should fear love and trust in God above all things. How can you love something that you fear? Well, that's what children do with parents all the time. They love their parents, but they also fear that their parents can give them discipline. And so they attempt to be good, and the more they get to love their parents, the more they obeyed the commandments of the parents. That's how it works in Christianity. The more you get to love Jesus as you hear what he's done for you, the more you are freed, not only from sin, but also from the curse of the law. I'm Tom Baker. Tomorrow we'll take a look at a hymn let us ever walk with Jesus with Mark Smith. And again, find the law and gospel points it makes. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.